Morning, guys. Ready to get in the Word together? I'm excited. Let's get into Revelation chapter 20. Um, while you're turning there, I want to let you know uh, Pastor Matt and his wife Kelsey are in George, Iowa today at Central Baptist Church, a, a Great Plains Association, NAB Church there. Um, Matt is preaching today and also uh, uh, leading singing. Um, so we were joking that maybe he's got one of the kick drums on his strapped on his back and he's got a harmonica here. He's doing it all this morning. Uh, so appreciate his heart to serve that church. Um, it's kind of like a church plant, and I know the uh, pastor there, Sean Mustian, has, has not had a week off in a long time, so this will be a blessing to him. Um, so we'll pray for Matt and Kelsey in just a minute. Also want to keep you updated, uh, we will have an email going out to you this week, all those on the church email list, uh, related to our building. We should hear back on Wednesday uh, as far as the bids, and we will um, get that information out to you as quickly as possible once the elders have a chance to digest it for a minute and where we are. So keep praying, um, praying for the Lord's favor in that, and uh, we trust Him no matter what. So let's read, um, just for context, Revelation 21 through 15. Our focus today is going to be on 11 through 15 in the great white throne. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed, also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, and the beloved city, the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great throne, a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them 
according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Would you pray with me? Father God, if it were not for your infinite grace, every one of us would meet this destiny, thrown into the lake of fire for unending, conscious torment. Lord, we bring nothing to the table except our sin. This is what we deserve. This is what justice demands. We're not thankful enough. Lord, we don't marvel in awe enough at your infinite matchless grace that you have lavished upon us in Christ Jesus who took the lake of fire for us on the cross. An innocent man who gave his life, laid it down for his friends. There is no greater love than this, than what Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, May we live in such a way by the power of the Spirit that honors His sacrifice, that responds to it with gratitude, to love as we have been loved. Forgive us in the name of Jesus for our lack of love for people in our lives, for our selfishness. And we are so grateful that we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That when you look at us, Father, we are perfect in Him. Just as if we never sinned, just as if we always obeyed. What, who does that for anyone, let alone an enemy? So we say thank you, Lord. Renew our hearts in that truth today. Remind us of the gospel. This is the greatest power. This is the greatest news in the world. We pray as we send Matt and Kelsey this morning uh, into another context, into another church, they would bring the grace and love of Jesus with them and would be faithful. Empower Matt to preach the word with clarity, with truth and love. And may you cause your word not to return void, but to accomplish the purpose for which you send it. In that particular context, may we be a blessing to them this morning. Lord, um, we now turn our attention to your word and we pray that it would be preached faithfully, truthfully, clearly, and powerfully in the spirit. We ask in Jesus' great name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, guys, we're in the wardrobe this week. We're in the wardrobe. We're transitioning between the old world and the new world. Okay, we're walking through all the old, the, the, the evil, the sin, the broken, we're leaving that behind at this moment in history, and we're moving into Christ's country, the new creation, fully consummated, peace, joy, where God dwells with His people and righteousness fills the earth. That's where we are. We're leaving it all behind. All the judgments are over. All the judgments are at an end. 
We've had a lot of them. I felt it as a preacher. <laughs> had a lot of judgment in the book of Revelation. God's serious about sin. Um, that's a big takeaway. But we've had seals, trumpets, bowls, bowls of wrath. And they've escalated and escalated and repeated and repeated. And now they're finished forever. This is the last judgment. And you can think of it over the course of history between Christ coming like a Russian doll. So you have one judgment upon another, upon another, upon another. Okay? They're like they have within each of them similar things, but they're escalating and they're repeating like a Russian doll. This is the last layer of the doll. This is it. This is the outer shell, the great white throne. God the Almighty judging everyone who has ever lived publicly. What it teaches us, what the Bible is constantly teaching us, is that everybody is going to get walked in on. Everybody is going to get walked in on. Remember that feeling as a kid when you were doing something naughty and your parents walked in on you? Remember that feeling? It's not fun. You're writing your name in lipstick on the wall. Cutting the carpet with scissors because we want to play with snow. Yay. Nailing G.I. Joes to the ceiling because, you know, they're paratroopers. It's an aerial assault. We need to test to feel real. And then mom or dad, whoever's scarier to you, you probably have one or the other that's a little scarier, walks in, catches you red-handed, and you, there's nothing you can say. You have no excuse. Now, you might try to make an excuse. I'm practicing my handwriting. Look at my spelling. It's so good. But there's nothing you can say. You're caught. You're walked in on. Kids, you know that feeling. Flooding your body with adrenaline. Your heart's racing. Um, that's what meeting God face-to-face -face will be like. That's what meeting God face-to-face -face will be like. When you die, God walks in on you. At the final judgment, God walks in on you. He knows. And you're exposed. All the things that you've done, all the things that you've thought that maybe nobody knows, God knows. And there's going to be no explanation. Well, you know, um, you don't understand. I didn't mean to. There's going to be no justification. Well, I tried my best. I try to be a good person. There's going to be no comparison. Well, clearly I'm better than a lot of these people. None of that. When the books are opened and you are judged by God's standard of holiness, the only thing that will grant you pardon is pointing at Jesus and saying, I trusted in him with all my heart. That's your only hope. That's my only hope. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to his cross I cling. Can you say this morning, all I have is Christ? Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Can you say that? that, it, that that's all you need. I don't need to add one single work to what he has done. All I need is him. Is that your hope? Is that your confidence in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will shield you 
from the wrath to come. I'm looking at a lot of young people, and I know this is hard to conceive of. It sounds almost like a story that's not true. Fiction, it is true. And you think it's bad to get caught by mom and dad. What will it feel like? When Isaiah was in God's presence, and he knew he had a filthy mouth, he was undone. He couldn't even stand up. He fell to the ground. He, couldn't, he wanted to go through the ground to get away. Revelation says people are hiding underneath rocks, mountains. Better that they fall on me than I have to look the living God in the eye in my sin. And praise God he has made a way. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. That's where we are. If you've trusted in Jesus, you don't have to fear this. You don't have to fear the great white throne. He already took your judgment at the cross and he gave you his obedience. Here's the big idea today. John sees a vision, final judgment. Here's the big idea. What you do in this life matters for eternity. What you do in this life matters for eternity. The choices you make follow you through the wardrobe. They go with you from this life into the next. They determine heaven or hell. They determine reward or punishment. They determine the proportion of your reward or your punishment. There is proportionate reward in heaven for the good you do for Christ in this life, and there is proportionate punishment in hell for the sins you commit in this life. God's justice demands it. So I think God gives us a chance to step back and evaluate, take a moment, take a few minutes. Where am I headed? Where am I headed? What am I living for? What's my trajectory? So I'm going to walk through the passage and then I'm going to finish just with a few application points. So let's start with verse 7. Just a few comments here and we'll move forward. A thousand years are ended. Satan is released from his prison, comes out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, gathering them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So I said last week, I'm taking that as happening just before Jesus' return at the end of the age. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So another angle, I think, another image describing the last battle that we've seen in chapter 16, chapter 19. Um, again, it's like a battle that's not a battle. Just fire comes down, consumes and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So it's interesting. The devil is not annihilated because that would be a mercy. It, to put him out of existence would be a mercy, and that's not justice. 
Uh, he's going to have to live with no power in a place where he can't harm us, do anything against God's purposes, knowing that he lost forever and ever. That's just, that's what it's going to be. Verse 11. Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. So who's on the throne? God, Christ, both, maybe. It is a great throne because of his majesty. It is a white throne because of his discernment and decisions being holy and pure. And it's interesting because the judgment doesn't just affect people, it affects creation. So understand, when we talk about salvation, yes, that's an individual person thing, but it's also a world thing, cosmos thing, that the creation is going to be set free from its bondage to decay, which it can't wait for. Somehow the creation has a longing to be set free, Romans 8 tells us. It longs for the revealing of you publicly, the children of God, because it knows when that happens, I'm free. I'm not futile anymore. And I think that's what happen, is happening here. First earth, first sky being transformed into something new. This is the death of death. Death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire and judged forever. Nothing, no more of that. No more curse. No more struggle. No more earth giving us thorns and thistles when we want fruit. It will be set free. And I don't know what that will be like to watch, but it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch God playing with his creation, taking it, reshaping it, recreating it, glorifying it, transforming it. This is what he's going to do. And, and the Bible gives us different images to express that. It may be fire, maybe water. Okay, but somehow this earth, this this ball of matter that we're standing on is going to be transformed and made new. Glorified, what it was intended. If Adam and Eve wouldn't have eaten the fruit, this is what, where we would have been. A glorified earth, glorified people forever. God's not starting over from scratch. He's sucking the poison, the futility out of this world clothing it in immortality and imperishable glory. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. I love this. Okay, this is every person who's ever lived. The poor widow from Venezuela all the way to Elon Musk. You're accountable. You're accountable. I don't care if you're small or you're great. You're accountable. You're standing at the throne. You have to face God. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So heaven has a library, or at least it's symbolic for the infinite memory of God. We got two kinds of books. One book is the book of salvation, the book of life, and it has names written in it. Either your name's in it or it's not. It's black and white. If it is, God has chosen you in your sin to be saved in Christ. If it's not, God passed you over justly, justly in your sin and prepared you for destruction. No one gets injustice. No one has ever gotten injustice. No one ever will get injustice from God. 
you either get grace or you get justice. Both are really good. Would you agree? God is not doing anything wrong by giving people who have rebelled against Him, rejected Him, chosen evil in their hearts willingly, giving them destruction and giving them punishment. That's justice, and it's perfect. Or, praise God, He is merciful. He gives grace. He pours it out. So if anyone's name is in the book of life, it's only because of grace. If anyone's name is not, it's because of justice. God is not unfair in any regard. The other book, or books, it tells us, are the books of works. They have deeds written in them. All the good you've done, all the bad you've done, it's a lot of books, okay? You need a lot of angels to curate that library. If you're a Christian, there will be good and bad, obviously, right? Every day, there's good and bad. Now, that may sound a little scary to think, okay, all my bad thoughts and all my bad deeds are going to be, you know, publicly vented before the world. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but... You don't need to be afraid of that because God is a good father and he would never embarrass you. He would never shame you. That's not his heart. And actually, I think this is going to be incredibly encouraging, this moment for us as Christians. Because things that you didn't even realize were good, you will be rewarded for. Things you thought nobody saw. Nobody saw this. God saw. God saw it, and He will praise you for it. He will say, what will it feel like to have God, our Creator, say, well done? For Him to be proud of us. How much do we appreciate when our parents or someone that we admire praises us? How good does that feel? How how encouraging is that? What will it be like to have the God of the universe proud of you? I saw when you did that. I saw when you turned away from selfishness in your heart and you served that person. Nobody else saw it, but I did. I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Guys, what's that going to be like? I mean, the praise of the praiseworthy is the greatest reward. And he is most praiseworthy. So what will that feel like? So don't fear this. Yes, there will be an accountability for everything that you've done, even as a Christian, but all your sin is already put away in Jesus Christ. All that will be left is the good to be rewarded for, even though it was the Spirit's power within us. Amazing. Non-Christian, there's no good. And if you're not a Christian today, I would say to truly do a good work that satisfies and fulfills you and glorifies God, you need the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus. You need a new heart. That is the only way it's possible. For those who do not know Christ, it is impossible for them to please God, it says in Romans 8. Christian, non-Christian, we're going to be there together as the books are opened. You find this throughout the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Romans 14.10, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans 2.6, he will render each to each one according to his works. To those by patience and well-doing well seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, this is not the judgment that happens when you die. When you die and go before the Lord, there will be a judgment of salvation, you could call it. Did you trust in Jesus? Okay, heaven. Did you not? Hell. This is a judgment of your works. It will affirm that initial judgment. It will affirm the initial judgment we receive in this life of justification. But the last judgment, which has not happened yet, and when you die, it has not happened yet, not until Jesus returns, is the judgment of your works. Public. Public. Not private. Public. First one is mainly about your eternal destiny. Second one is mainly about the degree of reward or punishment. Tracking with that? Okay. So Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed man to die once, and after this comes judgment. So you, there is a kind of judgment when you die, but it's not this judgment, the great white throne. That is yet to come. Where all the books will be open and everything will be brought out on the table. Evidence, yes, this person was a Christian. Evidence, no, they were not. Verse 12, and the sea, I'm sorry, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Three points I want to make here on the text. Number one, you're only responsible for your choices. You're only responsible for your choices. It says each one. Each person is held responsible for their decisions and theirs alone. Now, that might seem obvious or we all nod in agreement, but if you believe this text, you wouldn't feel responsible for other people's choices. And that's a struggle for a lot of us, isn't it? It's a struggle for me. I'm working through it. But I can feel overly responsible for the things that other people in their own volition choose to do. And I, I feel the weight of it. I'm not saying you shouldn't care. But you feel the weight of, okay, this is a burden on me. And I have to fix it. I have to fix it. Do you know what I'm talking about? This, just a weight that you feel. Someone else does something sinful, stupid, and you feel the weight of it. Maybe your kids. Maybe your coworker. Like if you're over people at work. Maybe your parents. A friend. That over-responsibility can express itself differently. It might be preoccupation with analyzing the relationship. So you're always thinking about it. You're... you're, you're you know, why did they do that? Well, what are they going to do next? And what are they thinking? And you're too invested in that person and their decision. It might be appeasing someone again and again. You know, I got to keep the peace at all costs. I got to smooth it over. I got to get in there. 
I, I don't want to let them live in the consequences of the decisions that they've made. I have to get in there. I have to fix it. It's up to me. This is a lot of times why people stay in relationships that, I mean, I, I know it's like a buzzword, but toxic or um, you're, you're just being treated badly. And you make excuses for why, no, 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 they didn't really mean that. Or um, there's evidence that they've changed. They're, they're, they're changing. They're and there really isn't. But you feel you have to go in there and you have to fix it. You have to stay. You have to get beat up again and again and again because, well, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. I have to help them. It's not just praying for someone. It's not caring about them. It's not helping them. It's feeling that it's my job to make this better. I have to fix the problem. doesn't matter who started the fire. I'm the fireman. I have to go in and put it out again and again. Because, I mean, what, what else? Well, who else is going to do it? It's up to me. It's such a burden. And I just feel like from the Holy Spirit, there's some of you who feel that burden for someone in your life. You're overly responsible for their decisions, and God wants you to stop. He says, this is not from me. I am not putting this burden on you. I can handle this person. I'm very capable. My arm is never short. You don't have to fix everything. You don't have to do it. You don't have to feel like the thing they did is the thing you did. Or you caused it. Or you have to fix it. Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't force people to do anything? The Son of God, incarnate. Someone chooses to reject his help chooses to, to do something sinful or stupid, he treats him with dignity. Let's him go. He lets him go. He lets him walk. Their response is not his responsibility. You remember the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? <coughs> well, this, this, and this. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm not interested in that. Walks away. He doesn't chase him down. Wait, 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 wait. Just, just let me explain it one more time. Let me, let me, let, no, 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 you misunderstood. Okay, here, here, here it is again. Okay, just please listen well because I want you to be saved and, and you're, you're not paying close enough attention. He doesn't do any of that. He just lets him go. Jesus speaks clearly, plainly with love and then he lets it go. He honors that person and he trusts the Father by letting them go. He doesn't take over-responsibility for their decisions because their decision is their decision. One, of the, one thing I've learned in ministry is if someone wants to change, they will. If they don't want to change, they won't. Me wanting it for them is not enough. It doesn't work. I mean, I, I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to want it for people more than they want it for themselves. And really what happens is I am destroyed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because, you know what, carrying the weight of my own life is a lot. Carrying the weight of another, another, another is too much. I'm not made for that. 
I'm not built for it. Only God is. I know some of you, you analyze things, you beat yourself up. Why didn't I say it like this? Oh, I could have said it like that. I wish should have done this. I should have done that. It doesn't work. It dishonors that person, to be honest. It dishonors them as an image bearer. And it distrusts God. They are accountable for their own decisions. You are accountable for your decisions, your response. Nothing else. Number two, you will remember your life. I don't think it's going to be a mind wipe when we get to heaven, you know, like droids in Star Wars, just wipe their memories. I don't think that's how it's going to be. I think we're going to have a mind that's renewed and made like God's. Like God's. If you're being, here's, my, here's why I'm saying this. If you're being rewarded for good things you did in this life, how will that make any sense if you can't remember what you did? How will it make any sense for God to say, well done, thank you for that act of service. I don't know what you're talking about because I can't remember. That doesn't make any sense to me. For God to get glory and you to get joy, I think you have to remember what you did. How will you glorify Christ ever escalating and heightening for all of eternity if you don't remember what He died for in your life? If you don't remember what He paid for, if you don't remember why you need Jesus, what's the point? Revelation 6, the saints in heaven, okay, they've died, they've gone to heaven, their souls. They say, how long, O Lord, till you avenge our blood? Um, for them to ask for vengeance, they need to remember that they were wronged, that they were murdered. They remember they remember after their death what happened to them to some degree. And yet, there's not going to be any bad memories. There's going to be no nightmares. There's going to be no trauma to relive. Somehow, our memory of this life when we're in heaven and when we're on the new earth will serve and enhance our joy, not diminish it. I don't know how that works. Just like I don't know how someone who is dead at the bottom of the ocean or was cremated is going to be, that body is going to be put back together by God and made into a resurrection body. I don't know. But I think it's true. I think the Bible teaches it. I think we have evidence to say that we are going to have a memory. We are going to remember. And it's going to serve our joy and it's going to glorify Jesus. Number three, lastly, watch out for sloth. Watch out for sloth, not a sloth. They're not very dangerous, I don't think, but the vice of sloth. I bring this up because I think it's an enemy of the reward God wants you to have. You understand that God is trying to motivate you by reward? We don't think about that very much. You know, like gratitude for the cross, absolutely, looking back, but we also look forward. We also look forward, He's, you know, in the Gospels, there's constantly, constantly, do your good works in secret, and don't worry if anybody sees it, because why? Your Father in heaven sees and will reward you. So if you try to do good things so everybody else sees you do them, what have you lost? Your reward. 
God's saying, no, 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 I, I, I have something for you. I have something special prepared. I, ha I have a crown for you I want you to have. So be rich toward God. Lay up treasures in heaven. He wants you motivated by reward. And I think sloth is an enemy of that. Because at its essence, sloth is failure to work at loving people. Failure to work at loving people. An unwillingness to do things that are uncomfortable, a resistance to taking action for another, a determination to do what is easy, what you know, what you've always done, hardening yourself against change, apathy toward Christ, and being sanctified in Him. This is a problem in our culture. This is a problem where we live. <laughs> um, and I know what you're thinking, Pastor, what are you talking about? We are hardworking people. We, we, you know, we don't like laziness around here. Diligence might be our highest virtue. Look how productive we are. Look how hard we work. How could we possibly be slothful? But laziness isn't sloth. Simply working hard is not a virtue in itself. You can be really hardworking and really unloving. You can be really busy with the things you feel like doing and really lazy at the things God wants you to be doing. Tracking with that? Okay. It's a question of what does God demand? What does God want? What does God call you to? Not just like, I'm a hard worker. Are you a hard worker for the kingdom of God? Uh, I encountered a man once in the church and professing Christian, worked very hard at his job. I mean, by anyone would say, by all accounts, okay, this, this 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week, whatever it takes. Um, he was a hard worker, and everybody knew that. Everybody saw him doing it and um, came up to him one day in the church and, and had a brother who was struggling, and I, I said, hey, would you mind just reaching out to this person? Would you mind? They're struggling, and, and I'm just trying to get some people to help and reach out, and maybe you could pray with them. He looked me in the eye, and he said, I can't do that. I'm really busy. That's sloth. Very hardworking in his business. Always had time for that. When it comes to the things of God and loving another human being, another Christian even, lazy, uninterested, excuses. No, I can't. See the distinction? uninterested in the things of God when it comes to loving people. And this can take many forms. I think one of the more insidious ones is caution. Um, caution can be a virtue, but it also can be a vice. Instead of taking action, you make excuses. God calls you forward into someone's life, you hesitate. You retreat. You play it safe. That's the bottom line. You play it safe. You're passive. Um, I mean, am I wrong that this is a problem? Passivity, hesitation, caution. Men, am I wrong? 
young men, am I wrong? That we err on the side of playing it safe, what's comfortable, what's easy. It's a massive problem among Christians. In our comfort zone, we love it. So you won't go talk to someone because, well, what if they don't want to talk? And you know what? I don't feel like it. You don't offer them some water because, you know what? What if they don't want water? What if they want milk? And I get it wrong and I look stupid. And I don't feel like talking to them. I don't feel like offering anything to them. You don't invite people over because, well, you know, they're probably busy. Yeah, they're busy. And I don't feel like hosting. I don't feel like cleaning up my house. I don't feel like preparing anything. I'm going to do my thing. See someone new sitting alone at church? Well, I could go talk to them, but maybe they, they don't want to be talked to. They, they seem fine, and I'm really comfortable in my chair. You don't initiate with your kids. You don't take time to be with your kids. Because, well, I've had a long day and I want to go in the garage instead. They're fine. They're fine. You don't, you don't initiate, you don't ask your spouse, how can I pray for you? Because that requires mental energy. And I don't, I don't have that. I don't feel like doing that right now. And honestly, they never ask me. Why should I ask them? Caution, caution, caution. Safe, passive, excuses. It's unloving. And here's, here's the gist. It's an unwillingness to carry your cross. It is a resistance to taking up your cross and carrying it because it's too heavy. It's too much. I can't do it. And I don't feel like carrying a cross right now. I feel like sitting in a soft chair. That's what I feel like doing. That's sloth. It's a vice, it's evil, and it will, it will keep you from the reward that God wants for you. Because what is the summary of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love as you have been loved. It's loving people. That's the essence of the reward that God has for us. And if we are too lazy to make an effort, to work at it. It takes work. I'm not saying that your work is meritorious. I'm saying that it is a response to the love that God has shown you, and you work at it. It's uncomfortable. It feels like death. If you're feeling like death, you're getting close to truly good works. And listen, the more you choose what's not easy for you but good for another, the happier you will be. I promise you. The more you choose what is hard for you but good for another, the more fulfilled you will be. Don't doubt me. The more you'll have to look forward to in eternity. And there's opportunities every day. So where in your life are you resisting the demands of love? Where has busyness with your priorities crowded out busyness with God's priorities? doesn't mean you can't be busy. What are you busy with? Where have you started to take the easy path over and over and over again so that now it feels like climbing a mountain to say no to your preferences and yes to someone else? You know, those preferences, they get in there deep. I, you know, and one of my prayers as I get older, Carrie and I have talked about this, is that the things that I like and are comfortable for me 
my creature comforts, my preferences, that they don't get so deep, so strong a hold on my heart that I become an unloving person. Because I just like doing my thing. And it feels comfortable and it feels good and it's easy. I mean, those, those ruts are just grooved in real deep. And when it comes to love, self-sacrificing, working at it, something that makes me uncomfortable, I don't ever want to be like that. Because I know I, I can be and I will be in my own self. So maybe that's just a particular call to those of you who are a little older in the faith, a little older in life, to watch out that you don't get so comfortable in your preferences that when God calls you and demands that you love someone else in a way that is kind of hard, I I got things to do. I got appointments. I got a show I like to watch. I like to be home at this time. I like to take my nap at 2.37. Okay, Jeopardy's on at 5. Can't, nope, sorry, I can't. The great white throne calls us to evaluate our lives, to take a step back, to take a moment, to examine, because we will give an account. God wants to give you more and more and more. He empowers you to do it. He gives you the grace to do it, but we have to choose to do it. Father, I pray in the end that this would be uh, an encouraging word to your people, spurring them on, stirring them up toward good works, toward acts of faith, toward love. Lord, the world will know us by our love for each other, and I pray that if there is areas of life that need to be repented of and turned from, that we would do that, that you would work Holy Spirit in our hearts right now, to resolve to turn. We thank you, Lord, that we do not have to fear the great white throne, but on that day we will hear the great benediction of well done, good and faithful servant, and all the good that we've done by your grace will be made publicly available. Lord, to to encourage us, not to shame us. We pray, we pray for those who at this moment do not have that to look forward to. They have wrath and fury to look forward to. I pray that you would work in their hearts to change them and save them. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to give you a few moments to be with the Lord. Um, And maybe those questions can be a good prompt. Is there an area of your life where the demand of love is being neglected for the sake of your comfort. You can't do everything for everyone. You can't be everywhere with everyone. Uh, We're limited, absolutely. But ask the Lord to show you, is there something in my life where I'm resisting that? Is there something in my life where uh, I'm choosing my preferences and my comforts over loving another person in a particular tangible way? So let's just take some time and wherever the Lord leads you in that, He leads you uh, to be with Him.
Please stand for the benediction. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.